usually when I start to record these episodes, I know who's going to win. I've done the research. I've watched the games or the fights. And as I watch game after game or fight after fight, it becomes clear who's going to win. But with this fight, I've, I've watched their fights several times now. And I, I honestly, I don't know who's going to win. And as I'm recording this, <laughs> I'm not sure how I'm going to end the podcast. <laughs> I'm not sure whose hand is going to be raised. I could legitimately see either fighter winning. And so part of the reason that there was a delay in my releasing this episode, or I should say recording this episode, was that I'm not I'm not sure what the answer is. So maybe we'll figure it out by the end of the <laughs> by the end of the recording. But Aaron Pryor versus Sugar Ray Leonard, let's get into it. You play to win the game. To all the non-believers. Anybody can be beat! The best ever. I'm the most brutal and vicious and most ruthless champion there's ever been. Hello? You play to win the game. I'm Sonny Liston. I'm Jack Dempsey. There's no one like me. I'm from Nairclaw. There's no one that can match me. I'm handsome. I'm fast. I'm pretty. And can't possibly be beat. My style is impetuous. My defense is impregnable. Can't wait. Welcome to the Versus Podcast. My name is Jadi Amwendo. In this podcast, we take classic teams, players, and fighters and pit them against each other in the ultimate fantasy matchup to determine who would beat who. In this episode, we pit Sugar Ray Leonard against Aaron Pryor in one of the biggest fights of the early 90s that never happened. As Muhammad Ali's career began to wind down at the end of the 1970s, boxing began to look for a new face for the sport. Ali was larger than life, he was internationally known, and most importantly for the promoters, the business side of boxing, Ali was a huge financial draw. So they were looking for someone who could bring in the crowds and really bring in the money that Ali brought in. Enter Sugar Ray Leonard. Leonard won the gold medal at the 1976 Montreal Olympics in the junior welterweight division. And in those days, a gold medal in the Olympics was almost like an automatic ticket to money and fame (laughs) if you were good enough to sustain it. Being an Olympic champion got you the best promoters. It got you the most money for your early fights. It was like boxing rolled out the red carpet for you, and all you had to do was just keep winning. But in addition to the gold medal, Leonard had many of the qualities that Ali had. He was good-looking, he had a magnetic smile, he was very charismatic, and had a really good guy image. Leonard was a natural replacement for Ali as the face of boxing. As a result, Leonard made $40,000 for his first fight which is the equivalent to around $180,000 today. Interestingly, Sugar Ray Leonard, after he won the gold medal, planned on retiring. He didn't have any interest in fighting professionally, so he said. His plan was to go to college, become an accountant, and just live a regular life. But he had a young son with a woman who would become his wife, and also his father got sick. So according to Leonard, he needed the money. And for him, the quickest way to make a buck 
was boxing. So again, the $40,000 that he made in his first fight, it's kind of unheard of. It's it's a ridiculous amount of money for, for your first fight. So boxing rolled out the red carpet for Leonard, and all he had to do was win. And win he did. Leonard won his first 25 fights before he was set up to fight for his first world title. And this was still back in the days when they would match you against different styles to make sure that you were ready for your world title. So on his way up in those 25 fights, Leonard fought bigger men. He fought a middleweight, 160-pound fighter. Leonard, his natural weight, the weight he debuted at was 147 pounds. He was a welterweight. He fought a 154-pound fighter. He fought boxers. He fought southpaws. He fought different styles in order to prepare him for his eventual world title. There was an era once in boxing where the idea was you weren't ready for a world title until you lost your first fight. But I think that was more of a mob thing. Mob, The mob used to run boxing and they wanted you to throw fights <laughs> so you wouldn't get a title shot until you threw a fight for them. Those days, I think, were over by, by the time Leonard was coming up, so he didn't have to take a loss before fighting for the title. But I digress. So Leonard's first world title fight was against an all-time great fighter in Wilfred Benitez. Leonard knocked out Wilfred Benitez in the 15th round of a very technical, strategic boxing match. A very good fight. Less than a year after becoming the world welterweight champion, Leonard would face another all-time great in Roberto Duran, and in this fight, Leonard would suffer his first professional defeat. But Leonard quickly avenged his defeat in the rematch against Duran in the famous, or infamous, Nomas fight, where Roberto Duran quit in the middle of the fight. And then, in less than a year after defeating Duran, Leonard fought his third all-time great fighter in Thomas the Hitman Hearns. Well, he was he was still the Motor City Cobra at that time, but Hitman is such a better nickname. And in that fight, Leonard staged a come-from-behind late 14th round TKO to beat Tommy Hearns in one of the greatest fights of all time. So in a span of about two years, Leonard fought and defeated three all-time great fighters. And this is largely what his legacy is built upon. After the Hearns fight, Leonard signed on to fight what would have been his fourth all-time great fighter in junior welterweight champion Aaron Pryor in the fall of 1982. But that fight would never happen. In the fight against Tommy Hearns, Hearns, who had one of the all-time great jabs, brutalized Leonard's left eye through the course of the 14 rounds. And even though he won the fight, the retina in Leonard's left eye became detached and required surgery. Leonard had amassed a fortune by this time, and even though the eye was healed and the fight against Pryor could be made, there was also talks about a fight against marvelous Marvin Hagler. I guess I should say that the other way. The fight against Hagler could have been made, but there was also the prior fight. But instead, Leonard decided to retire. Now, many of you probably have heard of Sugar Ray Leonard, but my guess is many of you have not heard of Aaron Pryor. Pryor, unlike Leonard, came up the hard way in boxing. 
He was beaten in the Olympic trials by split decision over the eventual lightweight gold medalist, Howard Davis. And as a result, instead of having the red carpet rolled out for him the way that Leonard did, Pryor had to go to the back of the line with all the other slubs. (laughs) In his pro debut, Aaron Pryor made $400, whereas Leonard made $40,000. But like Leonard, Pryor continued to win. At 23-0 with 21 knockouts, Aaron Pryor was looking for a lightweight world title shot. But because of how dangerous he was, he would never receive that title shot, that lightweight title shot. So he moved up to junior welterweight and challenged Antonio Cervantes for his junior welterweight title. Aaron Pryor knocked out Cervantes in four rounds. After cleaning out the junior welterweight division, Pryor was looking for a worthy opponent and set his eyes on the welterweight champion Sugar Ray Leonard. But as previously discussed, even though they signed to make the fight, it never came to fruition. So on this episode of Versus, we're going to make that fight happen and determine who would have won between Sugar Ray Leonard and Aaron Pryor. Now, I briefly touched on portions of the careers of Leonard and Pryor, but if you want to know more about these fighters, there's an excellent boxing history podcast called World Championship Boxing. And the boxing historian on that show, Robert Silva, breaks down in in more detail the careers and the greatness of both of these fighters, as well as many, many more all-time great fighters. If you're interested in boxing and boxing's history specifically, I would highly recommend that podcast, World Championship Boxing. So for this fight, we're going to treat it as if it happened in 1983. That would have given Leonard enough time for his eye to heal. But mainly I want to do it that way because instead of fighting Leonard, Pryor fought an all-time great in Alexis Arguello in one of the best fights of all time in the fall of 82. So Pryor got the fight he was looking for and he went on to knock out Alexis Arguello. Definitely go watch that fight. So that means any fight after 1983, we're not including for analysis. So in preparation for this fight, I watched Aaron Pryor versus Leonidas Aspria, Antonio Cervante, Gaten Hart, Lennox Blackmore, Duan Johnson, Miguel Montilla, Aikio Kameda, and the first Alexis Arguello fight. For Leonard, I watched his Dick Eklund fight, Floyd Mayweather Sr., Fernando Mercade, Danny Gonzalez, Adolfo Viruet, Marcos Geraldo, Tony Chivarini, Pete Ranzani, Andy Price, Wilfred Benitez, Davy Boy Green, the first Roberto Duran fight, the second Roberto Duran fight, Larry Bonds, Ayub Kaluli, Thomas Hearns, and Bruce Finch. Now, as you can imagine, there were way more Leonard fights available on YouTube than there were of prior. So I, I ended up watching more Leonard fights, but I tried not to make it too lopsided in terms of the number of fights that I watched of Leonard's versus Pryor's. 
So to analyze this fight, we're going to look at Aaron Pryor's offense versus Sugar Ray Leonard's defense, then Sugar Ray Leonard's offense versus Aaron Pryor's defense. We'll look at intangibles, then we'll go to the tail of the tape, and then we'll play out how we think the fight would have gone and determine a winner between Sugar Ray Leonard and Aaron Pryor. Now let's look at Aaron Pryor's offense versus Sugar Ray Leonard's defense. Offensively, Aaron Pryor was a hard-hitting, whirlwind of punches type of pressure fighter. He was constantly moving forward, coming at you, throwing non-stop punches. And I mean literally non-stop punches. So as a point of comparison, a reference if you will, Roberto Duran was considered a high-volume pressure fighter, throwing a lot of punches. In Duran's first fight against Leonard, he threw around 60 punches around. Pryor, in his first fight against Alexis Arguello, averaged around 106 punches around. So when I say Pryor threw punches nonstop, he literally threw punches nonstop. But the crazy thing about Aaron Pryor, usually when a fighter throws that many punches, they'll be gassed. They'll be exhausted after three, four rounds. Aaron Pryor could do this for 15 straight rounds. Easily. In fact, in the Aaron Pryor versus Alexis Arguello fight, in the 13th round, Pryor threw 104 punches. The, the dude's stamina was ridiculous. But it's not that he was never gassed. Like, you could, when you're watching his fights, you can see times in the fight that he's tired. But his special ability is his ability to recover extremely quickly. So if he's tired, he'll stop throwing power punches as much, and he'll just increase his jab output. So he never really stops throwing punches. It's just that he changes from throwing power punches, hooks, uppercuts, crosses, and he just jabs. And he'll jab for about a minute, and then it's like he's fully recovered. But on top of the volume of punches that he was throwing, Aaron Pryor punched with power. He got tremendous torque in his upper body, so much so that it, it kind of looks like he's he's throwing wide punches because of the way that his, his body is turned relative to his arm. It looks like he's throwing a punch wide, but he's really not. But that torque is what generates a lot of his power. In fact, before I started analyzing the fights, I, I thought this would be an easy decision. I thought, well, obviously, Sugar Ray Leonard is just going to punch inside of those wide punches and get out and easily outbox Pryor. But upon further inspection, Pryor is not throwing wide punches. He's throwing straight punches. Aaron Pryor's hand speed and foot speed was, I'd say, average to above average. It really wasn't anything special. Even though Pryor was a pressure fighter, a high-volume pressure fighter, he had boxing ability. And I believe if he only boxed his entire career, he would have had a good career. I mean, I don't don't think he'd be an all-time great. But he would have beat many fighters just off of his boxing skill. He knew how to use his feet to get in and out. He could circle fighters. He kept his jab pumping, and when he wanted to, he could move his head defensively. But Pryor was far more effective attacking. 
and it really didn't matter what style of fighter you were. If you were facing Aaron Pryor, he was coming at you. He came at boxers. He came at power punchers. It didn't really matter. But with his boxing abilities, Pryor could make adjustments. In the Dewan Johnson fight, for instance, Pryor started out moving to avoid Johnson's power. This was very early in the fight, and Pryor was still, it looked like he was still kind of cold. But after Johnson dropped him, he went on the attack and became the pressure fighter, the slugger that he's known for. But slugging it out with Johnson wasn't working because Johnson was the much harder puncher. So Pryor made an adjustment, and he started jabbing and circling Johnson. But Dewan Johnson kept throwing a counter right over Pryor's jab and hurting Pryor. So Pryor adjusted again, and instead of throwing jabs, now he threw lead right hands. And when the lead right crosses started to land, he'd follow them up with left hooks and uppercuts. And as Johnson started to tire from the high work rate, Pryor started to pick up the pace. Pryor wore Johnson down, landing four or five punch combinations, easily dodging what Johnson tried to return, and knocked Johnson out. So even though Pryor was most effective as a high-volume pressure fighter, it wasn't all that he could do. When Pryor was in his whirlwind mode, his whirlwind of punches mode, he had a tendency to stick his chin up and leave it exposed, and he got caught a number of times in doing this. So Pryor's strengths offensively is his work rate and the volume of punches, the volume of power punches, hard punches that he would throw, and the unrelenting nature of his pressure, as well as his stamina. He never stopped throwing punches. The weakness of Pryor's offense is that in throwing so many punches, he left himself open to be countered. And with his tendency to keep his chin in the air, he was more easy to hit than he should have been. Now let's look at Sugar Ray Leonard's defense. Leonard was one of the most complete fighters of all time, both offensively and defensively. He had tremendous hand and foot speed. As a result, Leonard was able to defend in whatever way he needed. If he needed to move around with his feet to avoid a fighter or avoid punches, he could do that. If he needed to stand in front of you and make you miss, he could do that. If he needed to block your punches, parry your punches, and counter, he could do that. All at a high level. And you would see this displayed in Leonard's fights. Against opponents that he perceived to be power punchers, so the Marcotti fight, the second Duran fight, the Thomas Hearns fight, he would use his feet to stay away, to try to stay out of range of his opponent. But if he didn't think his opponent could punch, he would stand in front of them and use head movement and would block punches to try to stay close in order to get his own offense off. And this was evident in the Mayweather Sr. fight, the Andy Price fight, and the Wilfred Benitez fight. Leonard was a master of judging distance and controlling distance. He was always able to stay in a range that was comfortable for him so that he could hit and not get hit. Leonard's chin, however, was average to good. He didn't have a great chin. He, he, he wasn't someone who took punches. He relied more on not getting hit than relying on what his chin could take. And so you would see him get hurt in a few of his fights. 
He was hurt by Marcos Geraldo. He was hurt by Duran. And he was hurt by Hearns. Now, granted, these guys are are pretty solid punchers. Uh, Geraldo, uh, who he fought at 160, was the bigger guy. And Hearns had one of the biggest right hands of all time. But the punch that hurt him in, in their fight, in their first fight, was actually a left hook. But Leonard could be hurt. So the strength of Leonard defensively was his versatility and his ability to adapt to his opponent. But a weakness of Leonard was that his chin was solid, but he could be hurt. Now, let's look at Sugar Ray Leonard's offense versus Aaron Pryor's defense. As I stated before, Leonard was one of the most complete fighters of all time. Offensively, he was, he was like technically perfect. Every punch he threw was textbook perfect with blazing fast hand speed, and he had really good power. He wasn't a one-punch knockout type of fighter, but when he hit you, he could hurt you. Leonard was a highly intelligent and adaptable fighter. In his early fights and the fights before he won his world championship, you could see him trying out different tactics to see what would work. He might try circling and jabbing, or he might try going in and out, or he might try lead right hands. He would just try and see what would be effective against an opponent. And once he had figured the opponent out, he would go to finish them. Leonard was viewed as a pretty boy, as a, as a pampered golden boy. And usually in boxing, what that means is soft. It means like unaggressive. You know, usually when people are saying that, they don't mean it complimentarily. But that belied Leonard's killer instinct. He was a fighter who, if he got you hurt, he was trying to take you out. He went after hurt opponents and was unrelenting. But as with defense, offensively, Leonard would fight his opponent in different ways. He would stay away from power punchers using his feet. But in doing so, he would set traps where as the power puncher tried to follow him around, he would quickly spring on the attack and unleash a two or three punch combo. In the Danny Gonzalez fight, Leonard was on his bike moving around and Gonzalez followed him. And Leonard caught him with a right hook, left uppercut combo coming in and Gonzalez was knocked out. Against aggressive fighters, Leonard liked to make them miss and then counter punch. And when they became wary of his counterpunching, because Leonard could punch, they would stop being so aggressive, and then Leonard would become the aggressor. So in the Marcotti fight and in the Geraldo fight, Leonard established his power through counters and eventually became the aggressor. But against lighter punchers, or punchers that Leonard perceived to be lighter, he'd be aggressive from the get-go. This is evidenced in, in both the Floyd Mayweather Sr. fight, yes, Floyd Mayweather Jr.'s father, and the Wilfred Benitez fight, where Leonard stood in front of those opponents and tried to break them down. So offensively, Leonard's strengths are his ridiculous hand speed, his underrated power, and his ring IQ, his intelligence in the ring his ability to figure out his opponent, make adjustments, and adapt 
to whatever needed to be done to defeat his opponent. And Leonard's weakness offensively, I'm not really sure he has one. (laughs) Now let's talk about Aaron Pryor's defense. Really, Pryor's primary defense is his offense. But that's kind of a cop-out. So looking at Pryor from a traditional defensive techniques perspective, Pryor could, when he wanted to, employ traditional defense. He could move his head. He could move and circle with his feet. He could jab to keep someone off of him. Foundationally, he had the defensive acumen to, as I said before, if he decided to just be a boxer, he would have been a good boxer. Again, he would not have been an all-time great fighter, but he probably could have he could have been a serviceable, you know, career fighter. He had pretty good head movement when he wanted. He could block punches when he wanted. But that's not really how Pryor fought. He was aggressive and he took punches. But one of Pryor's greatest strengths was his recovery ability. When we talked about his offense, we talked about his ability to recover from a stamina perspective. Defensively, Pryor recovered from being hurt quicker than any fighter I've ever seen. In the Antonio Cervante fight, Pryor got caught rushing in on Cervante with, I believe, was a right cross and was dropped. And before he'd even hit the ground, it looked like he recovered. He was back on his feet ready to go, and he was knocked down in several fights. The Dewan Johnson fight, he was knocked down. I believe he was knocked down in the Kameda fight, but I don't think Aaron Pryor has ever taken more than a three count (laughs) on any of the times he's been knocked down, and not even including knockdowns, times that he's been hurt. So you could see when he gets tagged, you can see that he's hurt, and for any other fighter, he would have been in trouble. But for Pryor, it's like the second he's hurt is also the second he recovered. It's, it's, it's the craziest thing. I've never seen anything like that. I've never seen a fighter recover as quickly as Aaron Pryor. So I would say that his chin was, I would say he had a good chin, but his chin wasn't his strength. It was his ability to recover that was his strength. And there were times in fights, the Alexis Arguello fight, for instance, where Arguello was catching him with some clean shots, where if if you watch the Legendary Knights documentary that HBO did, uh, the Legendary Knights series was was a series where uh, they did documentaries on great fights in boxing history, and one of them was the Aaron Pryor-Alexis Arguello fight. And Aaron Pryor talked about how Arguello hit him so hard and like hit him where he would, his head would snap back and he was looking at the lights on the ceiling of the stadium. In those instances, Pryor would change tactics. He'd adjust. So even though he could recover instantly, he was smart enough to not just keep taking punches. He'd start to box a bit more. He'd throw more jabs. He'd circle his opponent. So Pryor's strength defensively was his ability to recover, even if he was hurt. His biggest weakness defensively was that even though he could use traditional D 
defensive boxing techniques. Because he was so aggressive offensively, he often didn't employ these techniques and was available to be hit. So now we've looked at Sugar Ray Leonard's offense and defense versus Aaron Pryor's offense and defense. Now let's look at the intangibles. One of the biggest intangibles for this fight is an intangible that doesn't exist. Later in Leonard's career, he would be gifted several decisions. The second Tommy Hearns fight was ruled a draw, where even Leonard himself said he lost that fight. I think Leonard lost to Marvin Hagler, but he was given the benefit of the doubt in many rounds. At this point in his career, in 1983, there's no evidence that Leonard would be gifted a decision. In his only loss against Roberto Duran, it didn't appear as though he was given the benefit of the doubt. Now, also, Duran is one of the five greatest fighters ever, according to most boxing experts. So, and Leonard was still the up-and-coming guy, where Duran was the established star. So, in that case, Leonard probably wouldn't have gotten the benefit of the, of the doubt. But still, there's, there's no evidence that Leonard would be gifted a decision versus Aaron Pryor. The biggest intangible that I think is present is Leonard's stamina versus Pryor's stamina. In the first fight against Duran, Leonard threw 50 punches around while Duran threw 60 punches around. Leonard got tired in that fight and was unable to keep up with Duran's work rate. So the two biggest intangibles, I think, in this fight are Aaron Pryor's stamina versus Leonard's stamina, and Leonard, at this point in his career, there being no evidence that he would be gifted a fight. Now, let's look at the tale of the tape. This championship fight is a 15-round fight. In 1983, championship fights were 15 rounds, not 12 rounds like they are today. Leonard is 5'10", Pryor is 5'7". Aaron Pryor is moving up from 140 pounds to 147 pounds. So neither fighter weighs more than 147 pounds. But Leonard is the naturally bigger man. And Leonard has the longer reach, 71 inches compared to Pryor's 69 inches. Now that our analysis is complete, the only thing left is the fight. At the opening bell, Pryor runs across the ring, as he does in most of his fights, looking to attack Leonard from the start. Leonard recognizes Pryor as a power puncher, and as such, he tries to move away, keep his distance, and he wants to catch Aaron Pryor coming in, the way Antonio Cervante did. Leonard is trying to move away, trying to circle away from Pryor, but Pryor is staying on top of him. And though Leonard is making Pryor miss a lot, he's also catching a lot of shots as well. As a counterpuncher, Leonard would wait for his opponent to throw their combinations and then return fire. But when most people throw combinations, they're throwing two and three punch combinations. So it leaves a natural opening for a counterattack. 
Pryor's not throwing three or four punches. He's throwing six, seven, ten punch combinations. So when Leonard thinks there's a, a natural lull about to happen and he opens up to counter, he's also getting caught. So Leonard has to be careful. He's moving. He's ducking. And Pryor is following him. Pryor is following him with his chin up. And Leonard sees what he's been waiting for and catches Pryor with a quick right cross left hook combination that puts Pryor on the canvas. Like in the Antonio Cervantes fight, Pryor goes down in the first round. But like in that fight, Pryor is instantly recovered and back on his feet before the ref counts to two. As round one comes to a close, the crowd is on their feet cheering wildly for this action-packed event. The next three rounds are similar in that Pryor is chasing Leonard. And even though Leonard is making Pryor miss and connecting with some clean counter shots, Pryor doesn't go down again. And in fact, he seems unfazed. Furthermore, Pryor is landing shots of his own, despite Leonard's crafty defense. The volume of punches is just too much for anyone to be able to handle. And it's unclear who's winning these rounds. Pryor's pressure and volume punching are starting to wear on Leonard. Trying to slip and dodge punches, Leonard has to be near perfect to avoid taking big shots. And in the fourth round, Leonard is not perfect. Staggered, Leonard tries his best to keep Pryor off of him. But Pryor is unrelenting, and Leonard goes down. Back up by the count of six, Leonard survives the round, but knows he must change his strategy. Fighting defensively and trying to counter Pryor is not going to work for 15 rounds. What's worse is that when Leonard hurts Pryor, he tries to jump on Pryor and finish the fight. But in the second that Pryor is hurt, he's already recovered. And Leonard's offensive aggression leaves him open to Pryor's attack. And it's unclear at this point in the fight whether it's going to be Leonard's clean punching or Pryor's effective aggression that's carrying the day with the judges. So for the next two rounds, Leonard stands more flat-footed and tries to slug it out with Pryor, tries to push Pryor back, tries to be the aggressor. His superior hand speed and his underrated power seem to be hurting Pryor. But it's during these exchanges where Pryor is hurt that Leonard is leaving himself the most vulnerable. Leonard hurts Pryor and jumps on him, thinking that it's an opportunity to end the fight. But Pryor recovers almost instantly, and as Leonard comes in aggressively, Pryor seizes on the openings and hurts Leonard. Even though this adjustment by Leonard has made it easier for Pryor to get his own offense going, he is also taking punishment. And though he recovers quickly, like in the Alexis Arguello fight, he doesn't want to keep taking punishment. So as Leonard becomes the aggressor, Pryor begins to jab and move more utilizing his head movement and his boxing. But for Pryor, that doesn't mean throwing fewer punches. He's still throwing 100-plus punches around. For Leonard to keep up this pressure, he has to try and match pace. Maybe not throw 100 punches around, but he has to at least try to approach 80. 
So even as Leonard is being the aggressor and backing Pryor up or causing Pryor to, to jab and, and circle and, and box more, he's wasting a lot of energy in the process. The second he relents, Pryor is all over him. By the 10th and 11th rounds, Pryor can feel Leonard's exhaustion, and he decides to pick up the pace and put more pressure on Leonard. He increases his power punch output. He goes back into his whirlwind attack mode. Leonard is a champion. Leonard is an all-time great. And he grits through his exhaustion. But Leonard is only human. And he begins to fade. Pryor's work rate is too much. And Leonard just simply doesn't have the stamina to keep up. Pryor throws punches from all angles. He goes to the head and the body. In his exhaustion... Leonard goes down for the second and third time in the fight. Valiantly, Leonard gets back up and fights with everything he has. And Pryor, despite his best efforts, can't knock Leonard out. As the 15th and final round comes to a close, both men batter each other in the middle of the ring as the crowd goes wild, realizing they've watched one of the greatest fights of all time. And the winner, by unanimous decision, and new, is Aaron Pryor. So why did we pick Aaron Pryor as the winner in this fight? Although on the historical list, Sugar Ray Leonard will rank higher than Aaron Pryor, in boxing, styles make fights. And the two fights that I can point to. So neither fighter fought another fighter that was close to their opponent. Like Sugar Ray Leonard didn't fight anybody that fought like Aaron Pryor. And Aaron Pryor didn't fight anybody who fought like Leonard. However, we can take bits and pieces from some of their fights to put together sort of a compilation. So the two main fights that I would look at is the first Leonard Duran fight and the first prior Arguello fight. In the first Leonard Duran fight, Leonard admittedly fought the wrong kind of fight. He wanted to prove to Duran that he was tough and macho and whatever, and, and Duran beat him as a result. Now, Leonard would not fight like that against Pryor, but... In that fight, Duran outworked Leonard. So if Duran would outwork Leonard, I feel pretty confident that Aaron Pryor will outwork Leonard. And looking at the Alexis Arguello-Aaron Pryor fight, Alexis Arguello had been in several 15-round fights. He'd been a champion in three prior weight classes, so fighting 15 rounds was nothing to him. But the work rate that Aaron Pryor employed exhausted him so when he was finally knocked out in the 14th round it was as much fatigue as it was Aaron Pryor's power finally referring back to the legendary knights series one of the I, I can't remember who it was but one of the people on the documentary said that Pryor and Leonard had sparred several times both as amateurs and professionals and this person said that in those sparring sessions, Pryor regularly knocked Leonard down. 
Now, this person also said that Leonard moved up to junior welterweight in the Olympic trials to avoid Aaron Pryor, which seems to be untrue. If you go on their box rec amateur records for the previous three years before the 76 Olympics, it looked like Aaron Pryor was a lightweight and Sugar Ray Leonard was a junior welterweight. It looked like they were not in the same division at all. So it seems unlikely that there was that either one of them was ducking the other or trying to avoid the other in the Olympics. So taking what this guy says with a grain of salt, (laughs) I do believe just from the styles, the way that Pryor fights and the way that Leonard fights, that Leonard would open up to counter Pryor, expecting Pryor's combination to be finished only to be caught by two, three more punches. And while Leonard had much faster hands, Pryor didn't care about getting hit. Pryor would take your punches to get off his own. So while Leonard would get off first, most of the time, there would be a constant barrage of punches coming back. And it's almost impossible to punch and dodge in that situation. It's it's almost impossible. So Leonard would definitely take hits, lots of them. So the work rate, the accumulation of punches, and Leonard's inability to really hurt Pryor, ultimately I think it just proves too much. I think it just proves too much for Leonard to overcome. And Aaron Pryor is your winner. Thank you for joining me on this episode of Versus. Please leave any comments or reactions that you have to this episode. I have a feeling that this one is going to be controversial. (laughs) And please let me know which matchups you would like to see us cover in future episodes of Versus. Don't forget to like, review, rate, subscribe, all of that stuff. And I hope you enjoyed this episode, and I hope you will come back for the next episode of Versus. Can't wait!